Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a independent music and arts podcast, but I've really pretty much just recently decided it's going to be a music podcast, unless I can get like a really cool film director, which I do get now and again, but I think I'm just kind of going to stay in the music lane. There, I've decided. I know you've all been talking about it. Uh, And speaking of music, today's guest is Jeffrey Silverstein. And that song that played the show in is his song, Easy Rider. And it's from his uh, recent album, You Become the Mountain. And uh, he's a really great guy. Um, We talked about uh, a lot of cool things. Uh, We did talk about drinking and creativity. And I, I think I gave the impression that I don't drink. And I do. I just want to, <laughs> I just don't drink when I'm being creative. But uh, anyway, that's that. Um, I would like to say right now, like if if you like his music and you like other people's music, uh, just in general, uh, support them on Bandcamp. This is a really hard time for a lot of musicians, especially those who rely on touring. So, and Jeffrey's Bandcamp is link is in the show notes as well as any information about him. And if you like Jeffrey Silverstein and music, please check out my catalog of back episodes. I have a rich history, like long, rich library of great musicians like Tim Presley, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, Boots Riley, um, who's a musician and a filmmaker. Two birds and with one stone there. I recently had Elisa Ambrosio from Magic Markers. Uh, So, you know, and if you like my show and these episodes you could become a patreon subscriber and um there's extra stuff that didn't make it into the interviews the unedited versions there's videos there's all kinds of great stuff on my patreon in the show notes there's my link tree that will take you to all things matt dwyer follow me on social media especially the instagram that's my favorite social media form um all right that being said, let's get on to this conversation with Jeffrey Silverstein. Ride on, easy rider, ride for you. You teach high school? Yeah, I've been teaching high school for like six years now. That's, so, I, I'm yeah. interested that like that teen, because to, to, high school was terrible for me, then to be an observer... <laughs> Like, you know, like it must be interesting to come in and observe that world again, but from a, a confident um, adult stance, I guess. It was, it was wild. Yeah. Kind of when I was starting off and I've kind of been lucky enough to kind of do it in New York and here and a few different like types of schools and settings. But, um, I think one of the reasons that I stay with it and enjoy working specifically with high schoolers is because I feel like I can at least have more often than not, like a somewhat uh, real, you know, conversation with them and kind of, I think like, you know, um, speak to them, you know, just like people and and adults, um, which I, which I appreciate. And and you smoke weed with them, right? And I absolutely smoke <laughs> with them. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I had it, but, yeah. but there is a, I had a teacher in high school who like talked to me about jazz and like, he knew what I was interested in. He like talked to me about like Lenny Bruce and Dick Gregory. And it was kind of cool to have somebody who related to me that wasn't like, who was a teacher, but yeah. knew my interest uh, and was hip to what I was into. 
uh, it's funny. I'm like wearing a dead shirt right now. I've definitely become more of a deadhead over the past, you know, like five, six years. But um, the character uh, Jeff Rosso from Freaks and Geeks, you know, the guidance counselor. Uh, I'm like, I, I feel like as every day that passes, I am morphing <laughs> into him. Uh, uh, I attempted a, a uh, to be him for Halloween last year. I, I hate Halloween. Uh, I really can't stand it. Um, however. We're like, all right, we're going to this party. Everyone's dressing up. So basically all that involved was me getting a blazer and like kind of his outfit. And then I like carried around, you know, American beauty. And it was just like, here, check this out. <laughs> uh, do you, do but I think it was, it was more self-serving for me, that costume. Do you hate Halloween or do you hate dressing up? Because I love Halloween. Uh, I, hate dressing I guess up. more... I think the dressing up part is is the is the clear big, uh, loser for me. There. I don't know yeah. why it drives me crazy, but I hate it. And it's like, a, I, yeah. And then uh, because I, don't, I didn't like it as a kid either. Like I, I have a couple of memories of like, oh yeah, that's like that was kind of a fun costume, maybe. But like for the most part, and it also I think kind of relates back to like having to like get almost like the same feeling of having to like get dressed up nice to go to like temple or something, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I never liked the getting dressed up part. Yeah. Like I don't mind like dressing up to wear a suit and like do something fancy. Cause which I haven't done in so long that it probably would feel weird. Well, <laughs> I've been well in- now, now I, now I enjoy that. Like now I enjoy the, yeah, the, the throwing on the suit every once in a while, but the makeup, uh, wigs. I think. I think really what it is is like. I don't want anything. Just like I don't. Know, I don't want to like wear like a hot rubber mask or something. Like, that seems yeah, like so disgusting seems... to me. Halloween in LA and now. And yeah. And now, of course, we're wearing you know masks all the time. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween in LA is extra annoying because sometimes you come across a frustrated actor at a party who can't drop the character, and it's just like. <laughs> Like I've like I've it's I've experienced it like so many times. I'm like this should be, we should be aware of this as a Los Angeles culture <laughs> that this is a problem and fix it. Yeah. Do, do your students know that you're a musician? I think, I think some of them do. Like, I've taught like songwriting classes before. I'm not. Uh, like I don't read music or anything. So I've never been in a position to like teach more like theory or anything like that. Um, but I try to, you know, find the balance of, of it's important, you know, for, um, for teachers to kind of share those things outside of work that they're really passionate and excited about. I, I've always felt like that's a really crucial role as a teacher is to like, you know, also like show students like different kind of dimensions of yourself and not just like, I am teacher, hear me roar kind of, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, I think some of them do. And then I think kids that are like clearly maybe tapped into music in like a big way then can have kind of naturally gravitated maybe towards me. And then I think, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, talk through stuff. And, um, yeah, you know, and, and most of the time it's just like when they realize that they can like pull up a song of mine on Spotify, like that's, that's kind of cool for them, you know, like, um, so 
Yeah. Yeah. One kid, uh, fairly recently, I think just kind of had a field day. He was like, he was like telling all, like, I think I mentioned it to him once. And then I got like a bunch of emails from teachers being like, he just wants to listen to your music in class. And I'm like, that's nice, but don't do that. Like, you don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you have to watch what you create in the future? Because you can't like like you can't not that your music is this anyway but it's like you can't write a song sure. about fucking <laughs> <laughs> um or maybe you can't, yeah, I guess I, I mean that's I think it's more so like uh you know you, you just have to be a little bit more careful I think for me not yeah like not specifically about like content of lyrics but just like you know I can't necessarily it's like it's this weird thing where you know, the way I promote myself is just, you know, it's just me or whatever on Instagram. So I can't necessarily be firing off like, uh, videos of me taking bong rips, you know, um, which is upsetting for me. You You really want to get that bong ripping content out there. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that, or, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, be posting the like, I don't know. Yeah. Drinking beers or, or whatever else. Although I guess, I don't know, but yeah. Um, do you, so yeah, I, it's like weird. I, there, there's a, a balance there that you want to try to strike of keeping that kind of stuff separate, you know? And cause sometimes too, it's just like in certain work settings, I just don't want to like talk about all this, like, music stuff. I don't know. Like it's nice. People want to like, Oh, you like, maybe they saw me post something, a coworker or something, but sometimes I just like, I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. This is like my world right now. So it's, yeah. it's a balance for sure. Yeah. Is it a little bit more hip in Oregon? Like, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm surprised with my uh, kids in school, how I'm like, Oh fuck. It's still conservative and weird. <laughs> like, um, like the pledge of allegiance. I'm like, really? We still we still do this? Uh, I work at um, a school that's like an independent school. So it's like pretty, it's on the, definitely on the progressive uh, side of things. Um, and in that way, it's actually been interesting because I think it's almost like minority families would maybe up, be upholding more conservative um, beliefs. Um, but in general, Portland, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, call it, they call it a sanctuary city, whatever, but, uh, it's, uh, I don't know there's kids named, you know, like basil and <laughs> time, you know, like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I love it. I, it's it, how long have you been there? Cause I love that city. It's one of my favorite cities. Yeah, we love it. Uh, we've been here. It just hit three years recently and we were in, uh, Brooklyn for six years before that. And then I went to school in, in undergrad and lived in Baltimore for a while. Um, and then, but grew up, grew up in New Jersey. So like all for me, all East coast before coming out here. Was that a big culture shift or not? I mean, it, yeah. uh, cause it seems like you were in, in creative circles anyway. So probably not that big of a shift. Honestly, coming from Brooklyn to Portland, it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, at, at least from like the stereotypical kind of perspective of it being, you know, both being these yeah. kind of like hip young cities, whatever. Um, so, but I mean, just, I, I was, 
our quality of life, you know, definitely I've, I, I personally believe to kind of have like skyrocketed, <laughs> uh, once we, once we got out of New York. Um, and yeah, New York is, a, yeah, I, it was, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. it was not, it was not, no, 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 it was just nice. Um, kind of going like, you know, Baltimore, New York, Portland. So kind of going like, small city, big city, and then back to kind of small, mid-sized city. Like the, the size of the city, I think, feels uh, far more appropriate, maybe just for where I'm kind of at in, in life. And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, small cities, like, Bal- I love Baltimore, and I love, like, I can't, New York was just a beating. Like it was a daily beating. <laughs> like it was just too much sensory overload with sound. And like, I couldn't yeah. like, and I know from reading about you, like you're, you like to meditate and like, uh, you seem and nature like you and I like, and that stuff, you can't do so much in New York city. <laughs> that was, that was one of the big deciding factors for moving as we started to really enjoy like, uh, hiking and camping upstate, but we always kind of joked that like the second you actually got out of the city between like traffic and tolls and how far you had to go just to reach a place where you had that maybe a little bit more sense of like, ah, this is nice. I'm, I'm not in the feeling of I'm not in the city anymore. Um, it just took so long. And then, you know, if you had the luxury of, of money and time, you know, maybe you could spend, you had a job, right. Where you could kind of work. Maybe you could, you know, extend your long weekend or whatever but as someone you know that always had to kind of get back you know it was just like it gave us like a taste of of that um and upstate is beautiful you know like i mean upstate new york especially now like all of them it's, it's beautiful um but uh once we kind of visited out here and saw that you could drive 15 minutes and be pretty removed that, that was big for us yeah, yeah. that's why i like where we are in California, we're outside LA, but like if we could go, you know, 45 minutes an hour in any direction and we're in mountains or ocean or desert. And it's just like, yeah. I like your either wild shirt. We, oh. <laughs> we escaped yeah. there for, uh, during the fires. Cause our house is right next to where one of the big fires were or house. My shitty apartment would be the more accurate statement. <laughs> um, yeah, we were out there years ago, but just like with friends who had kind of rented a, a house. And I actually, it felt like, uh, I, I don't know, I loved it. I, I thought that town was so cool. It's great. Uh, and it's, yeah. it, it had a nice little downtown and, you know, like, I like some of the like other, like Big Bear is great, but like they don't have, like if you have eating I'm a vegan, which I hate fucking saying because everyone hates vegans, <laughs> including myself. <laughs> but it was hard to find. It's like, you know, it's Idlewild's more hippie. And so it's easier to have a alternative lifestyle there, I think, than a lot of other. Yeah. Um, I was curious, though, about that because I read about how you, you like meditation and exercise and. No. Yeah, yeah. But it was that. Did you have to find was that a sort of a journey to find that balance or was that something? Cause I know a lot of musicians who think that it's better just to drink a lot. <laughs> um, I think it came with like, just like where my, my interests lied and, and how those have kind of changed over time, but maybe, um, and also what my, 
balance of teaching and music and at one point, you know, going to grad school or running a record label. Um, I think I just really, I'm constantly just thinking and, and thinking about time ultimately. And I think I kind of had to really start to reevaluate where and how my time was being spent um, so that I could make the things that I really care about feel meaningful and sustain and sustainable and the things that so far I have found that allow me to stay fairly level-headed you know is this balance of you know music writing running nature education um and sometimes maybe one of those things will take the forefront over in regards to like what I actually really need to put more time into or, um, but when I'm able to kind of have all of those things firing at once in a, uh, in a real way, I think that's when I feel the best, like, uh, mentally. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Because I've, you know, I've gone, I've, I've experienced the same thing. I've also, uh, was creative in a phase that was, uh, I was very drunk. <laughs> and, uh, and I think you become, after a while, you start sort of deluding yourself and thinking that that's, you know, like all things, when you're super drunk all the time, you, your perspective of reality <laughs> becomes a tent, uh, warped. And, uh, I, I can't, uh, like, I can't create drunk. Like I can't, it's just doesn't. No, work. no, I can't. I, I realized like, a beer and like a bong rip maybe is is the right uh, get me get me uh, moving a little bit. Um, but most, but in a, if not that, truth be told, I do so much better work after I have run and meditated. Like it, it feels like sometimes that those are almost, especially running because running can just be my meditation as well. A lot of times. Um, uh, but it almost feels like I have to maybe ex- uh, exert myself in that way sometimes to get to a, uh, creative, you know, creative place. And I think another part of that was just like, you know, when I was younger and going back to the kind of drinking, specifically like the drinking pieces, uh, in Baltimore, you know, right out of college, I, I, I paid next to nothing for rent. It could, pound beers all day long and then go on tour and pound beers all day long. Uh, and there, there was definitely just one tour I came back from where I was like, man, you know, like you, you look different than you used to. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, uh, you haven't necessarily had to, but, you know, do any kind of like physical exercise to kind of like maintain, you know, some stability in that regard. Um, and I think that's when I was just like, whoa, man, I got to, that, that was like an earlier moment of like maybe the starting point of trying to like get some, some of myself sorted, I guess. Yeah. Would, Cause too, when you're in your twenties and is that when, you know, you kind of, buy into the myth of I know I did in the creative world that I ran in the myth of like I gotta live on the edge and live in a CD place and hang out with shady people <laughs> yeah it 
I mean, it felt it felt good because it was the first time I was ever like really deeply involved in a music scene and the community. I felt a part of it. I, I liked that I lived in a house with five, six other people, all in bands, all creating. I loved living in Baltimore. You know, I, there was certainly a certain sense of pride of being in a kind of you know gritty, whatever you want to fucking call Baltimore. You know, people have a lot of different. If you've never lived there, never gone, there's a I've very been specific, a couple times, yeah. A specific version of Baltimore in people's minds. It's pretty much just the wire, you know. Um <laughs> but uh and funny enough, I lived in Mayor Carcetti's house. I actually, oh, really? That's my that's my wire claim to fame. Um but uh aside from that, yes, I loved that. Um and it was also the thing that like over time I was like, I can't I can't live in a house like that anymore. I can't drink that often, you know, like, and it just, I guess that's, I don't know it, if that's part of, of time and, and aging or whatever, then like, I'm cool with it. You know, I'm, I'm a much happier person overall now. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, was that when you were with secret mountains in Baltimore? Yeah. Yeah. That lasted for, uh, for a while. And I always, this is something I've uh, said, but another part of it is like, I only identified as musician Jeff at that point in time, maybe, or heavily, you know, right. it was like, I am someone that's in the bands, you know, kind of deal. And it's, it's almost kind of like how people knew me too. And people definitely still recognize, Oh yeah, he does music and you know, whatever else. But um, it was nice to kind of break away from just, having to just be that version, you know? Yeah. Was it, cause I, I also was reading how like it, from your transition into your solo stuff, how it was, you know, in a band, you have a lot more people to bounce off of. And then to, was that like the first time you were starting to explore and write and uh, perform without anybody? Yeah. It was kind of like a natural, you know, I, I kind of have thought of this that I really, feel like I've come full, full circle in that the Baltimore project, you know, at, at the heart of it, it started with, you know, me and having a handful of songs and then adding people and turning it into this, this thing. And then in New York, the project I was in stripped most of by the way, but it was still a duo, you know, uh, in regards to like, I mean, truth be told, I think looking back a lot of times, I, I felt like I was, uh, kind of carrying a lot of the weight, even though it was, um, a duo. Um, but I, it was nice though. It was, it was really nice to like, um, have that sense of just having to think about one other person's, you know, schedule and whatever else. And at that point in time, that was like the height of me doing definitely too much at once, but like teaching, grad school, doing a record label, playing in a band, you know? Um, and so, and then once I moved out here, we kind of tried to keep that project going for a minute and, you know, that's just hard, you know, being across, yeah. across the country. Um, and I knew some people here, uh, and I just feel like music is like a lovely way to get to know your city. And, again, as someone who had been playing and touring and blah, 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 I kind of, maybe I had a little bit of a leg up in regards to knowing kind of like how to get intertwined into some of it here. Um, but I knew 
I didn't want to wait around for the right bandmates or the right, I, I just had to do it. Um, and, you know, with enough encouragement from my partner and then eventually from other people I would meet, um, I, I kind of started getting a few ideas together and I had this wonderful opportunity to be out on the coast um, in Washington. There's this place called the Southwester Lodge, which is yeah, all of I've these old... There. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So one of those, one of those trailers is, you know, is a recording studio that you can stay in, you know, um, and that's part of their artist residency program. I think they've got a phenomenal residency program there. Um, and so I stayed in this trailer in, in, on the rainy coast for, um, like four or five days and then played my first show by myself in a decade. And, and that was, was kind of what kicked like a little bit of like a, Hey, like, remember, like you can, you can do this on your own, you know, like it's not, you know, and I, but it was nice to get back to that place. Yeah. How did it feel doing a show by yourself after a decade? Was, that's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. It was bad. It went really bad. I mean, like from my standards, you know, but I mean, I was playing to, you know, six people in a cozy lodge that, you know, like that, you know, it wasn't like, uh, it was pretty low stakes. Um, but yeah, it was, um, and I'm, I'm still getting there. Uh, a big thing for me is maybe I've also always kind of felt like the more of like a guitarist and a vocalist. So a lot of the solo stuff has been trying to find my own, like where I feel most comfortable as a singer. And, um, at that point in time, I, I didn't have that figured out. <laughs> uh, I have it. I have it a little bit more figured out now. Um, but yeah, it seems like a hard discovery, like a hard because people yeah. say like, find your voice, and that means so much. It's almost a vague, like in, in any yeah. form of creativity, it's such a vague. Well, my yeah, and like specifically with like vocals, you know, there's some really great stories you know of you know like renowned people like elliot smith hating his you know voice at first and like i think one of my favorite stories is uh i think the the fleet foxes uh robin pecknold he tells the story that like when he listened back to like himself singing for the first time he just like cried because it was he thought it was so bad you know and meanwhile he's people consider him to be you know just have like this smooth buttery you know uh vocal delivery so um i wonder what that is like yeah. what do you hear if if you're that great of a singer yeah what do you hear if you think it sucks and everyone else is like you're amazing <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting for me too because like i i i think one way that I've gotten more comfortable with the sound of my voice in general is also the fact that I do a bunch of freelance writing too, and interview a lot of mostly interviews. And, um, so, and I've always, you know, transcribed my own stuff. So having to hear yourself even just spoken that much, or like, you know, um, I think I've maybe between having to hear it, that much for that and then also start singing and doing it musically it's it's kind of forced me i think in a way to be like all right like that's that's you you know and and it's and it's cool that's you so yeah i read that like with the development of your sound that you listen to a lot of 
new age and was it new age and world music? I think I'm getting that correct. I mean, mostly, yeah. Like, you know, any like ambient leaning or instrumental guitar stuff, I guess. Yeah. I just, I was curious just cause I think people have a misconception when they hear new age, they think like Yanni or <laughs> like whale sounds. And, but I don't think, th- I think that's just, um, I don't, people seem to have that um, reaction with a lot of things that they, when they don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> there's like, uh, I think over the past, I, I could be wrong. Cause I feel like to some degree, I'm even just really diving deep into, into some of that, you know, but there's a, I think a far more like, words like that just span a lot farther now. And I, you know, so I think like, words like new age or or psychedelic music or ambient music, you know, that can trickle into, you know, most genres these days. Um, And I think like, you know, people have, you know, talk a lot about with like music, like mine or uh, anything that kind of tries to blend, you know, more traditional with some of that is like, this kind of like cosmic Americana is kind of, you know, um, it's not new, um, but I, I like, um, I've always liked that idea of trying to like bring, you know, those worlds closer together, you know, traditional country, but make it weird or, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, cause yeah. Cause, cause that's what makes something exciting, you know? Um, yeah. I was, yeah. It, how much of your environment is an inspiration for your music? And I, I ask that partly because of uh, a dog's age, because I love, I don't know. I just love that you have these street sounds of kids playing and it goes into the music and it just, I don't know it for me, it evokes <laughs> such imagery, like, which is like, I can close my eyes and I'm, I'm in like a wet street <laughs> like with kids playing after yeah, like yeah. that's what it which is b- beautiful to me. I'm just interested in like what that influence is for you. I appreciate you saying that. I'm glad that's where you can get to. Um I think and my partner and I talk a lot about this of like how much of creativity is about paying attention. And I think that's like um something that uh, I don't know if I have it around here, but like uh, that Jeff Tweedy, I think talks a lot about and, and talks a lot about in his new book too. Um, but I guess I've just started to really pay attention when I'm out on a walk or uh, listening to music or doing really simple activities. And I think I can kind of draw inspiration from those um even if they're really kind of mundane uh moments um and then and then kind of in conjunction with that i think you know between um most of my physical activities is through running but you know new york it was all kind of concrete streets and here i'm you know, so grateful to have, you know, Forest Park in our backyard and the coast and the mountains everywhere you turn, just so many opportunities for that. So I think some of that has kind of naturally started to seep in. But uh, but I think it kind of just goes back to also just like being more focused about like what I do have and, and gratitude versus uh, what, what I don't. So I don't know. 
maybe that's just like the um the the optimist in me that you know wants like kind of tries to just like keep on chugging <laughs> right yeah. yeah yeah it's it's interesting when when you're in a creative phase you do start finding things in the world that sort of i don't know if it's like if you're being open to it or if i, I don't know i'm not articulating uh, yeah i think you know i think no, no, I think, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think it's, it's an openness really. Um, and I like the fact that, that now, um, and this, the, the new, I had the chance to interview him recently and then simultaneously his new book came out, this Jeff Tweedy book, which like, I kind of realized I'm like, God damn, like he's like summed up so much of what I deeply, uh, feel and believe about songwriting and creativity in general. And I just, I, I hope so many different types of creative people read that book. Um, and, but he talks about this idea of kind of just like trusting, um, your abilities and your process. And I think I'm kind of finally at a point now where I trust a little bit more that like, I've done a lot of things to help me get there, but like, you know, for example, something as simple as right now, like from where I'm sitting, I could turn and this is my classroom, you know, but I can also turn and grab a guitar. So it's just like, I trust now that like most of the time or more often, if I put in the effort, like something's going to happen, you know, uh, it might not be good. Uh, but I, I like knowing that that's like kind of where, there's a certain level of comfort there in just like, Hey, you, you've stuck with something, you've practiced something, um, you, and you, and you like it, you like the feeling, you know, of, of being creative. And I think that's, uh, it's just the best. I, I don't I still don't really know of too many better feelings than like finishing a song, you know, or, or an interview that you're pumped on, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I often. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like you're like, and then, and you surprise yourself. Oh, whoa, you did it again. Way to go! <laughs> have, you, have you noticed with it? Because I'm always curious about artists that have a longevity, especially in music, like like Kyle Field and Carl Blau and Tweety. These are yep. guys who have been yep. at it all for decades, and I'm oh, like, yeah. what? And continuously growing and challenging and i'm like what is the why what is the trick there or uh, a trick is maybe the wrong word but yeah i i think it's um focusing more on like process over product you know and just enjoying the doing it um and enjoying when you get attention for it and not being and like because i think you'd be lying if you said that you, people don't like getting attention for your work you know um but i think if you could have it be a little more even keeled where you're you're focused a lot more on these are people that would be doing it no matter what yeah um and their circumstances have brought them into certain pockets and worlds um but uh you just sense that it's like uh, it's something that they've grown very attached to, you know? Um, and that it's like, it can't just, and after a while it does feel like it like kind of just like can't go away. You know, if you've been doing something for long enough, like even if you pause for a little, like there's definitely that knock on the door, 
you know, of like, Hey, remember, <laughs> remember when you used to, you know, uh, and it makes me kind of like sad when the knock goes away or doesn't come or, or people that maybe, I think it's because I believe so much in how powerful like being creative can be that like, I just want everyone to, to have that feeling once of, of finishing something or writing them one song or, you know, um, and, uh, but yeah. 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 Do you think there's a, a, to me, it seems like there needs to be a humbleness before your craft, if that makes sense. And I know some people think that like a little ego is good, but I, I, I personally feel like ego is the thing that often defeats creativity. Yeah. Uh, how many more times will I bring up Jeff Tweedy in this interview? <laughs> we will see. Um, but, uh, I did, I haven't read the book, but it, it was just so, it was just, it's just been so relevant. I think re- to me recently. And, and also because I've been just spending more time in, in this space where, where I make things, you know? Um, but, I think it can be good when it relates to confidence. Um, but there's a line with both of being, you know, of letting the ego take, take the reins and let it, and being, you know, you know, there's a difference between confident and cocky, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And, and it's, and that all plays out differently when you're in, um, when you're by yourself in a, in a basement, um, or when you are in more of a collaborative, you know, kind of setting. Um, I think, you know, like, like my ego, I think is also probably what allows me to be a fairly confident, like, uh, when I play with others, like band leader. And that's someone who I don't, I can't tell them, Oh yeah, dude, this song is like a, then C, then G. It's like, sometimes I know that. (laughs) um you know uh but like but i know what i want the music where i want it to go and and how do i want it to be conveyed and i think like i have the it's also tied maybe just like more like communication skills Um, but i do think that's what allows me to say like this is what i like this is what i want and i think those are i think those are important skills that they can be tied to ego right you know yeah uh, uh, yeah, because you you mentioned but, earlier you can't r- read or write music. Is it right? I mean, like I have minimal, you know, from playing saxophone in middle school and guitar lessons, sporadic guitar lessons, you know, throughout my life. Um, but you know, so like when I, you know, certain chords, sure, you know, I can. Um, but no, I'm not. Uh, I don't think I've ever like written out, you know, my, my music in that way. If anything, it's been more, uh, um, experimenting with different tunings and, and finding interesting chord shapes and phrasings that work and then trying to like move them to different places. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I feel like, I was listening to your EP earlier today and I've been listening to your album a lot and it was definitely, I don't do feel like there was a, a creative jump from the EP because it, because there's the slide guitar or steel guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, and it's within a short period because the EP was 
uh, what a year ago? Yeah, the EP is twenty nineteen. Was this year? Yeah, it's it for sure in a way that even surprised me. I think part of that is because I stuck with it. I was excited by the fact again of finishing something the EP, you know, and 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 moving on and kind of going back to the finding my own, you know, vocal, you know, phrasing. But the biggest thing I attributed to other than uh, putting in the work, you know, is that I found the right team, you know? Uh, so the combination of Barry Walker who plays pedal steel, Alex Chapman who plays bass and Ryan Oxford, who was the engineer and mixed everything, um, that team. And it's so cool because, you know, I'm a teacher, Barry's a, uh, professor Alex is a music therapist. So it was kind of this like band of teacher musicians, which made it really special for me. Ryan's studio was just like, sometimes, uh, he's called it like a psychedelic thrift store. Cause that's kind of what he has in there. Like all of this, like, it's like this perfect middle ground of like all the gear you would want and it works, but like nothing like, too fancy and it's i don't know it just like it hit so many boxes and then um you know most of the songs for all of us just kind of being in a room together so and i just that's what i miss the most right now you know with all the quarantine stuff but all of those things added up to um yeah a pretty big shift and and uh, one that I listen back to and I'm like, that's cool. You know, I, I love, um, and I have a new EP that'll come out hopefully early next year. Um, ready to go. And, and I hope that that is, um, I hope that that's kind of what's taken away again. But for me, it felt like, um, going back to an EP, I tried to view it as like a, a stepping stone towards whatever the next, you know, full length would be. Um, so yeah. What, what is different from the album to the, the new EP? Is it, is there a draft is, did you experiment more with different instruments or I'm just curious. Cause it does seem like, I, I feel like I get that uh, sense from you. There's going to be a, a never ending progression and changing. Is I that- think just, uh, there's just like some I, more, it's still the same band. Um, but I just think like, um, the, maybe the structure of songs and, and some of the tones we got and just some of the recording kind of approaches changed up a bit. Um, and then I also think just, I, I've, uh, started to try to um, put a little bit more of an acoustic guitar here and there in the, in the forefront, whereas, you know, and, uh, just as like most of the songs, um, on the record don't, don't have acoustic. So, um, also, I something we didn't that you brought up that I didn't know about you is running a label. Did you start your own label in New York for a couple of years? I did this like subscription record label. It was all seven inches with a friend of mine. It was called Singles Club. So there'd be like a, you could sign up for the whole year. So four seven inches, one per quarter. The A side was like a never. Uh, before her heard single and the B side was actually like a, a spoken interview um, oh, cool. with the person. So it was, I, that, that part was always special because like, I, I've never really heard too many records where you're just listening to the artists talk, you know, um, hearing their speaking voice, I think is cool. Maybe that's why I like interviewing people also. Um, 
but it was just a ton of work. Making records is hard. Making seven inches is even harder. <laughs> and then, and then, and then on top of that, we also like paired everything with this, like, uh, these really beautiful like features online. Right. So these like photo essays and, uh, interviews and like all of this bonus content. So it was like a massive project. And I think one that I'm so glad we did it and it existed, but I think it was so good that we were just kind of like, that was cool. And, but that's for both <laughs> of us, like too much. Yeah. You know? So yeah. It does seem though that there's a thirst for, uh, more like just <laughs> digitally digitally getting your music these days like and i feel like something like that also speaks to that thought yeah i i totally agree um and the rules are kind of out the window you know especially now about like how or why you should release something what format you know i mean it's just it, it's completely uh, bonkers, you know, right now. Um, so I think my, I just think people should do it. I guess if you're putting something out there, you know, do it in the way that you would want to, you know, kind of ingest it or that you hope, you know, would be a, would be an interesting way. Um, and that's what I think is cool about, um, just like all the kind of like cassette labels. I, I, I just think uh, so much of a part of that is letting people feel connected to a physical object still, but at a lower price point. And um, I have just like loved putting out music on, on cassette and, and supporting other labels and artists through that. So, I've yeah. been buying them and not, I don't have a cassette player, but I, <laughs> well, but I think it's but important. This is, but this is exactly what I'm talking about is that I don't care if someone, you know, can't even listen to it. It's like, it's just like the nicest way. Like I thought, I think more so in person too, of like at the merch table of being like, dude, I can support you by buying your $5 tape. Like, yeah, I'm in. Especially. You know, yeah. When, so. Yeah. When people are on the road, I always try to buy stuff because I've, I'm not a musician, but I've toured and I'm like, I know what it's like to get an extra 20 bucks in your pocket when you've been eating shit food. (laughs) I mean, it's a God it's, and especially with what's going on now, like band, I've been buying albums that I don't need to buy through Bandcamp because I just, I, I feel, I feel guilty. I do Spotify, but it's convenient. But I, if I like something, I'm not going to be a dick. (laughs) Like it's so Um, important. Yeah. And that's just like, um, I just hope, I mean, it seems like it's trending that way, but I think like, I just, I love knowing a, that Bandcamp exists and B that they are like, to me, they are the most exciting music platform right now. And I think they are, you know, going to be the ones that are, people are turning to for, you know, uh, sooner or later, I think they are going to be the ones that people are saying, how do I do that? And then why, you know, Oh, Whoa, you, you got ahead of that. And, um, yeah, I just, um, through everything, you know, quarantine, COVID election, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think the most joyful days I've, I've come across on the internet have been Bandcamp Fridays. <laughs> I, mean, pe- I mean, people have gone bonkers with how, you know, like, uh, and, and how much money they've put into 
into artists and labels pockets. I mean, you know, there's been stories where labels have talked about that they've made more money in one band camp Friday than they'll make in the entire year. Holy shit. So it matters, you know, is that having, I wonder if, and I don't know if you know this, but if that's having a shift with how labels, because if the artist is getting more money that way, and if you're somewhat established, why dick around with a label when they're a lot of them still, take insane amounts of money like not all of them there's some definitely yeah uh i mean i think that's that's been in question now for a while too of kind of like in different facets of like why go with a label why have a manager why have an agent why have a press person you know when you can kind of do those things yourself um i think it just depends on yeah, again, it goes back to like what you want out of out of those relationships, and I think if you can approach them in a way that's like still feels like you have at least some semblance of you know control and uh, direction, and that you know you, you just want everyone needs someone in their corner, uh, and sometimes that means a label or, or a manager, right? Or so, yeah. Have you, have you felt like you're, do you interview solely musicians or are you all? all uh... It's been, it's been primarily musicians or, or recently, uh, you know, comedian musicians. <laughs> I got to interview, uh, Tim Heidecker. That was fun. Like, oh yeah. 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 Um, so I would, it's actually like a goal of mine. I would like to branch out a little bit more. I also just like, this is clearly like a language I'm comfortable with. And I think that probably helps. Um, it helps when you kind of have been in something, you know, uh, you can just have that. Uh, I think you can get someone to relate to you a little quicker, maybe having them open a different way. If they're like, Oh yeah, this person's has been in my shoes to some degree before or. Yeah. Do you, do you, feel it affects your creativity and how it opens your eyes more or a challenge. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like sometimes like if I'm in a rut, like if I'm in a rut with writing my own songs, like sometimes I feel like I'll pivot to wanting to just like interview a few people. And oftentimes I feel like I, I use that as like some fuel to learn or, or hopefully, you know, hopefully I, 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 either my favorite interviews are ones where you're gaining some kind of um, something helpful. Um, and, and that's why I love the opportunity to, to read the creative independent and also to write for them. I mean, uh, their whole thing is, is about, yes, they're interviewing cool people across all creative fields, but all of it is pretty universal. These, you know, um, and these guides. And so, um, yeah, I don't know, maybe selfishly when I interview people, I'm like, yeah, well, I, I hope I'm getting something out of this that I can take back to the table, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, I, I think it can really help in that way. Yeah. I, I, I've, I, I worked as a writer and comedian for years and frankly, comics are the last people I want to interview, but I don't, that's just a personal, like, that's a, so, that's so interesting to hear. Yeah. I just, I, it's just, well, especially when I started this podcast that so many people were talking, so many comics were talking to comedians and I was like, well, I can't do that. 
Like I just can't because there's a thousand of these out there and who wants another one? (laughs) And my, the last thing I ever want to do is talk about comedy. Like I, I don't even watch it. Like I rarely watch it except Danny McBride stuff probably. But like I, if I I like watching depressing, I want to see Italians kill each other or someone get their heart torn out (laughs) from (laughs) that sums up my movies. Uh, Depression and murder. (laughs) <laughs> uh i yeah, that, that makes sense but i i gotta say yeah I'll, i'm with you on uh pretty much all things danny mcbride so yeah yeah i just started step <laughs> or i keep calling it step brothers because i'm an idiot but it's in-laws in-law that's not it either that's a movie <laughs> vice principles <laughs> oh yeah 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 i never i haven't gotten through all that yeah yeah but uh righteous gemstones is uh it's just it's so good on so many levels that it's just it's really but because it's it's also not just comedy there's so many things going on it sure. that makes it all the more special sure sure are you one of those uh, musicians who because i know a lot of musicians who love comedy and and some most of the musicians i know are just as funny as any comedian um i think i'm just like not as like I actually maybe uh, more so even over the past like year or so I've like just come to more so appreciate like specifically the art of like stand up comedy and maybe just comedy in general. But I think a lot of that, I mean, um, a lot of that has come through Dave Chappelle for me. Um, and there was like the, re- like a recent special where he was winning a big comedy award. Uh, did he um, Mark Twain? I think. Award? Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, and I mean, also like, just like his conviction, again, going back to, to the art form itself and what he will, the, the ends that he will go to, to preserve that for him, you know, and, and how privileged, you know, and, and grateful he is to, to get to do that and interact with other, you know, comics. Um, that really stuck with me. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I think, uh, somewhat, you know, to, to tie it all together right, with music and me loving doing interviews and all that, like, you know, Leatherman's new show, uh, I mean, is just like for me that shit's on all of it, um, and the newest one with you know with Chappelle, I, I loved. Um, so yeah, I think I'm. I think I like. I'm more tapped into it as like a as a thing, and not just this like uh, product that I laugh at. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I can't articulate it, but there's something about that art form that everyone is fascinated by, and I think there is also the like. If you notice in a lot of Scorsese films, he'll have either stand-up comics or like there's a scene in Raging Bull. There's a guy doing stand-up. There's guys doing stand-up in Goodfellas, Casino. Uh, the Irishman, it's like this constant, and I, I, I can't. That's really interesting. It's a really interesting, and then of course, King of Comedy is also all around a comedian, like a, he's bad at it, but I know it's just, fan, it's just like <laughs> such a, I think it's just such a loner, weird, creative, because it's really just this, 
and uh, troubled people to also sort of assimilate that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's also like interesting to watch shows that attempt to depict someone's real experience trying to navigate the state, like uh, crashing. Did you, did you do I that? I haven't one? seen that. I, I, I know, but I know. And he, I mean, like, he annoys me to no end. Oh, so I'm so uh, glad but, to hear you say that because I was being, uh, but, I was being uh, kind. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed, again, maybe maybe another glimpse into that world. And this, the part of that story that was like maybe a bit more interesting was just like uh, its connection for him back to religion, and you know. Um, like how, you know, his, the big gigs he would be getting would be at, you know, these like church benefits where he had to kind of like do his like clean stuff. And then like almost maybe feeling guilty that he was starting to like break away from that. And that, that, right. That narrative is one that many people can, can relate to. So, yeah. Yeah. It seems like too, for musicians or any, I guess anybody who is going to dedicate their life to creativity, you kind of have to separate yourself from a lot, I think, because it's yeah. against a lot yeah. of social norms and like no most, I don't rare is the parent. You, do you hear the story of someone going, my parents totally wanted me to become poor and, and struggle. <laughs> yeah. I joke, I joke all the time about that, but like, uh, and like, but it was like this big moment. So one of my, like favorite songwriters, um, Steve Gunn. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been yeah. Tra- we've been emailing to get him on. Yeah, so you know, I've just um, I love so much about his playing and his albums and his collaborations. I mean, and, and also someone where the discography is endless. He taps into all these different worlds. But I interviewed him the last time he came through Portland. Um, and, you know, we, we were just joking that, you know, it takes these certain like accolades, um, for, for sometimes for parents to like take you seriously. Like, um, I just remember like the band I was in in Baltimore, like we got a review in the New York times. And I feel like that was the only, like, I feel like that was the moment where my, it kind of like switched for my parents, you know, where it was like, Oh, well, you know, he was in the New York times. Like, um, <laughs> Uh, and like, you know, and, and even, but for me, even Steve Gunn, who is someone that like, to me is wildly successful. And, you know, on, on so many levels, he was like, he was like, yeah, I go, he's like, sometimes like going home for Thanksgiving sucks. Cause these people just have no clue, you know? Um, and they are, you know, they'll ask me some questions and yeah. So, um, a prophet. I think that's, I think that very real. Yeah. I think that's what the, and I'm not a biblical guy, but uh, a prophet <laughs> and a, a prophet is without honor in his own home is what that I think is what it's about. It's like, it doesn't matter who the fuck you are. You go home and you, all your parents see is the kid who shit in his pants and hit his head on the, t- you know, the coffee table. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The kid that, yeah. For me, it's like the kid that got busted smoking weed in high school and like two, two other stories from childhood. Like, were you, uh, were you hippie-ish as a kid? Uh, let's see. Okay, so you consider yourself question. hippie-ish now? I like, I, yeah, sure. Uh, 
I mean, I definitely have a Bob Marley tapestry in eighth grade hanging down from my ceiling. So yeah, maybe hip, maybe hippie-ish is the word. Um, well, now I think there's like a infusion of punk hippie because oh, there, well, there's like the, this whole like indie jam thing kind of really has taken off. Where where so ultimately like my, the thing with me is like growing up musically, I wanted nothing to do with my brother's world of music. He was three years older, but he was into the dead. He was into fish. He was trading CDs on weird websites, even like way before I knew what that was way before I knew what the grateful dead taper section was, you know, like, um, but I was like, no, like I'm punk screamo emo hardcore, you know, that, that was it for me growing up in New Jersey. Um, and it was exciting and it was loud and it related more to maybe my, you know, whatever feelings that I thought I was having, you know, at, at the time. Um, and then, so all of this kind of like folk and ambient and whatever. Yeah. It's definitely been like a, a slow ride there, but um, the I, I just, um, all of a sudden, I think a handful of years ago, there were, cool indie bands who started saying no like the grateful dead is cool jamming is cool and i think like enough people called on board with that and all of a sudden it's like oh well now you have this whole new world of, of dead fans and bands that incorporate you know indie kind of jam you know into their music um and i love it i, I think it's i think it's awesome um it's i've had a lot of musicians yeah. mention the dead to me and was surprised like Tim Presley was way into punk but he was like but into the dead and I'm like when I was a kid and you're punk you couldn't you couldn't that was yeah the dead like fuck hippie I mean the dead milkman well, have songs about hating hippies <laughs> yeah yeah and like you know I mean the I think they might make this point in the newer whatever like the more feature uh, dead documentary is uh, long strange trip. You know, it's four hours. I, for me, it could have been 10, you know, um, but they, I mean, to me, like the dead are kind of one of the most punk bands ever uh, just in regards to like their ethos and how they approach what they wanted to do. Um, so I think when I kind of made that connection, I was like, well, th those worlds maybe really aren't so, so far apart after all that's interesting you know, i think that's yeah. really interesting point yeah. to be, and i feel like that i think that the, the uh, punk has uh that that definition has become broader because of such you know it which in would be more open-minded i would say too and sure it's really kind of a cool thought yeah i hope that both of those worlds have become more more open-minded but i feel like i just always have to give credit to this because i think like um you know there's bands like garcia peoples and stuff right now that are you know and, and the grateful shred who are this incredible dead cover band and like a lot of bands letting letting it be known very loudly that that is an influence on them but um it was actually for me it was uh i was uh i've been a big fan of the band real estate oh yeah um, but my favorite band member and uh, is Alex Bleeker and he does his own thing as Alex Bleeker and the freaks. Um, and early on, you know, even years ago in Brooklyn, um, a, 
and maybe I just pay more attention to it now, but I mean, he was doing at Brooklyn bowl, you know, dead cover, like three hour sets of, of dead covers, <laughs> you know, like with a great band. And I just feel like for me, he was again, someone that like, I saw on this, on this kind of indie level, but that was also saying like, no, like this, you know? And so I've, I've always appreciated that because they were kind of the, the quintessential, I think indie band who I think started to change that narrative. I think of like, yeah, why, why not try to jam a little (laughs) in your, in your, and it seems like there's like, there is that sort of, uh, it was already there in punk a little bit. I mean, like Sonic, not the same, but like Sonic Youth would go on those long, sort of improvised noise jams, and it's like it's not that much different, really. <laughs> or is it? Yeah, it's just kind of like what you want to, what you gra- what what your own ear gravitates towards when someone is expanding and opening up a song, you know? Um, and some people when that's happening, want to hear the way that players are responding to each other. And some people want to hear something that sounds like the world is, is falling apart, you know? <laughs> um, but there's, there's a lot of different ways technically to jam. And yeah. I mean, a, you know, and just a drum can be a jam. Well, you I know, know people just, who... like, so, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. But like, oh no, you're good. Jazz, jazz is definitely an improv. You know, so much that it, jamming and it's improvised and this it's same exact thing. And I always thought about that. I was like, why do people who like jazz hate the dead? And I know a lot of people who. And it's like because it is technically somewhat the same, not genre wise, but what they're doing. Am I right? Uh, for someone who, because I've had people try to. I think people are still resistant to the dead. Would you have suggestions on like if, cause somebody said to me, like start with their earlier, more bluesy stuff and then work from there. I think it's just like, if you, I mean, I think for a lot of people and it was the same way for me, if you want to just hear more of like beautifully written songs with great vocal performances, you know, working man's dead and American beauty, I think really represent that kind of folksy moment. And that's a really nice entry point for people. I think if you want to jump it right into the, you know, the, the jamming world of the grateful dead, you know, you would do like Europe 72 or like seventies uh, era or uh, the, the set from, uh, you know, the, there's like people talk a lot about how the progression of like, um, how good some of the live recordings got during certain windows of time, certain soundboards. So there's like this set that, you know, people in Oregon go insane for from Veneta, Oregon. And that's like, and being, but you listen to it and you're like, Oh wow. Like this is cool. But also like, Whoa, I got the, the quality of this is just stunning. Um, Cause the, the thing about it is that's, it's just, I think another really fun way is like, there's so much of it archived everywhere. Um, and it's really fun to be like, Oh, what's today's date? You know, Oh, it's November 7th. I can pull up the November 7th blank year, like, you know, at, at the click of a button. And I think that's, what's so fun about them too. It's like, you can find, you can always find a set from the date you're living. <laughs> like, yeah. so, cause that's how, cause that's how much there is, you know, that's like crazy. it's endless. You know, I, yeah. I could see getting obsessed. Like I know my brain and I could see it's maybe that's a mild form of addiction. I don't, 
Um, I think, well, I think for a lot of people it is. And I think I, um, maybe haven't, I, I haven't reached that point. Um, I think I, you know, between just all the things I do and listen to, maybe just time doesn't allow for it, maybe in a good way. Um, but, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think there is, a, I think there is an obsession. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. To, to wrap it up where, yeah. and I will put everything about you in the show notes, but is there anything specific, cool. specific you would like to plug at this moment that you really, or just your band camp? Uh, yeah, my, my album from earlier this year, you become the mountain is out now on Arrowhawk records, uh, Jeffrey Silverstein.bandcamp.com. There's an EP from 2019 on Driftless recordings. That's also up on there now. Um, I do a lot of, I host a radio show seven to 9 PM PST, uh, every other Tuesday on doing buggy radio, doing buggy radio.com cool. and all of the archives. Um, from those shows and a lot of the kind of guest mixes that I do for other sites, they're all on my Mixcloud page, which is mixcloud.com backslash Jeffrey Lewis, L E W I S Silverstein. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's the main stuff I've, I've got going on right now. Um, and I won't share all of the details, but, um, yeah, next year, New, new music um, and a really cool project that I'm teaming up with Lou from Perpetual Doom on, which I, which I can't wait to share more about I, hopefully I, I in the coming it, months. I yeah. know about that too. That's going to be really cool. exciting. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Jeffrey. This has been great. I really appreciate it. And thank I you. I just, yeah. I uh, appreciate you. Appreciate <laughs> your time. Right on. Easy rider. for listening to conversations with matt dwyer please remember to go to the linked tree uh link in my show notes and support me on patreon if you can or just tell your friends about the show that would really mean a great deal to me tell people about the show and follow my social media and again if if you like join the patreon become a subscriber and get bonus material videos blogs all kinds of stuff thank you very much for listening right on Easy rather be right for you. Fuck Trump. Fuck Trump is right. <laughs> we got the whole, we did it. We got it in. We got it in, yeah. <laughs>